the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose, this is Abounding Grace. Welcome to our Friday broadcast. We're focusing on the baptism of Jesus. Next, join us. Infant baptism, adult baptism, believer baptism. What is baptism? Is it a sacrament or is it a seal? We would invite you to join us today as we focus our attention on the baptism of Jesus Christ. And as we take the time to study this passage before us, we come away with a clear understanding of just exactly who Jesus is and what the significance of baptism and His baptism is all about. Here now with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace, Pastor Gary Wagner. If I may, for just a moment, uh, let me check your memory. What are the four things that took place at the baptism of Jesus that made it one of the most important events ever to take place in human history? And though these things happened 2,000 years ago, they continue to shape history and your life to this very day. Well... First of all, the actual water baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist, which was his public inauguration into office as our Savior. Second, the heavens were opened. Heaven was rent asunder and people were actually allowed to see into the very presence of God. And the reason that the heavens were opened was to let us know that Jesus came out of heaven to earth so he could make it possible for his elect to one day join him in the heavens and enjoy the ecstasy of living in the presence of the eternal God for all eternity. Then the third thing that happened that day was that the Holy Spirit of God was poured out on Jesus, descending from the heavens upon him in the form of a dove. And the reason God's Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove, was so human senses could perceive the reality of what was taking place. This was not just simply for the benefit of Jesus, but was for the benefit of us to let us know that the baptism of Jesus, just like everything else that took place in his life, was a real part of history. It really happened, beloved. This is not a fantasy. And the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus for two reasons. He came down upon Jesus as a man. As God, he didn't need him. But as man, he needed all the power and the gifts the Holy Spirit gave him to complete the task that God had called him to perform as the Savior of the world. And even though he was a perfect, sinless man, He still needed the Holy Spirit in his life to enable him to carry out the responsibilities as a man that God had given him. And I made the point a few weeks ago that if Christ was sinless 
and needed the Holy Spirit in order to be faithful to the Lord. How much more do we, being sinful, need the Holy Spirit in our lives? We saw with the baptism of Jesus that one of the distinctions of the New Testament is brought forth that is repeated time and again, and that is the intimacy between the Holy Spirit and Jesus. Though the Son of God and the Holy Spirit are two different persons, their presence is the same. Where one is, the other is. And this intimacy between God's Spirit and Jesus starts right here and is expressed throughout the rest of the New Testament so that the entire work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as Christians should be and must be defined in terms of this intimate relationship between Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? He comes into our lives to glorify Christ in us. And those are the very words of Jesus. He came to disclose to us the very things of Christ to magnify and exalt Jesus Christ to our minds and our faith so that our mind and our faith and our emotions are attached to Him inseparably. We just can't get enough of Jesus. We saw also that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to conform us more into the image of Jesus. We saw Paul saying that no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the enlightening of the Holy Spirit. Not only can no one honestly or savingly say that outside of the work of the Holy Spirit, but no one can live in a way that is consistent to that. No one can bring his life under the Lordship and live a life that is obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ except by the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and live in a way that is consistent with his Lordship, what are you doing? You're living like Jesus. You're living in a Christ-like manner. And it is the Holy Spirit of God who not only came to magnify Christ in us, to enamor us with Christ so that we can't get enough of Him, but the Holy Spirit also came into the world and into our lives to shape us more and more into the image, the human image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the implication of this intimacy between the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. And now we come to the fourth great incident that took place at Jesus' baptism that makes it one of the most important events to take place in human history. The last great event that Luke mentions at the baptism of Jesus is the voice of God. While Jesus is being baptized and the heavens are being opened and the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus the very voice of God thunders from the heavens, and He says these words to Jesus, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. That is such an important statement, beloved, that I want us to look at every word, including the Old Testament text from which these words come. But before we look at the details... 
I want you to understand the point God is making here. Why did God say this at the baptism of Jesus? As Jesus is coming to be baptized, publicly identifying himself with sinners, publicly saying by his baptism that he has come to be the Savior of the world, to bring salvation to all those who believe the gospel, God speaks out of the heavens and says, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Why does he say that? Well, this is a divine approval of Jesus. That is God's assessment of his Son. God is saying, in effect, Jesus is everything he claims to be. Everything this baptism claims for the Lord Jesus Christ is true. Jesus is the unique Son of God. Jesus is the object of God's eternal love, of God's good pleasure, of God's electing love. He is the one whom God has appointed as the Savior of the world. And by this divine testimony thundering out of the heavens, God is giving unqualified approval of Jesus' competence to fulfill what he was called to do. God is saying, in effect, Jesus is fully competent to fill successfully the messianic task for which he is being publicly inaugurated at his baptism. He stands before you as your high priest. He stands before you as the one who is going to transform individual lives as well as life on this planet. That is what he claims. And God is saying, I am giving unqualified testimony to his competence. He is able to do exactly what he says he can do. Jesus can be trusted to be and to do everything he claims this day. I, as God, guarantee it. Now, Lord willing, we'll come back to this point either later in the sermon today or next week. But I want you to see what is going on here so you don't get lost in the details and lose sight of what God is doing because he's done all of this for you, beloved. When God thundered out of the heavens, He was saying, as only God can say without qualification, Jesus is fully competent to be and to do for you everything He claims and everything He intends. He guarantees it. So believe it. All right. So let's look at these clauses because these are, there are basically two and they are both quotes from the Old Testament. God addresses Jesus and he says to him, You are my beloved son, which is from Psalm 2. In who I am well pleased, which comes from Isaiah 42. And both of those causes are God quoting Scripture here in Luke 3. Each of them are vitally important in understand in understanding what is going on here. The first clause, you or thou art my beloved son. Notice the verb first. It is in the present tense, an indicative mood. So the point here is, 
that there is an eternal and essential relationship between God and Jesus. God is not saying, Christ has become my son now that he has been baptized. He is continuously the son of God, eternally, present tense, forever, continuous action. He is the Son of God. He is the unique Son of God from all eternity past to all eternity to come. He has taken upon Himself human flesh, but He is, always has been, and always will be the Son of God, equal to God, equal to God's power and glory, the same in essence. Jesus is God, the Son. Son, the second person of the Trinity. That is what God means by that first phrase. This man that stands before you this day, that you saw the Holy Spirit come upon as a dove, saw the heavens rent asunder, and heard my voice. I want you to understand, to know that this man who was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River is truly, actually, God the Son. And no less than that, the eternal Son of God. Now this comes from Psalm 2. And please notice God calls him my beloved Son. Uniquely my beloved Son. This is he whom I love like no other. Do you know there is no one God loves more than Jesus? God loves Himself supremely, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And do you know that the only reason God loves you is because God loves Jesus? The only reason you are accepted with God is because of that little word, beloved, when it comes to identifying Jesus at His baptism. He is God's beloved Son, and you are and I are accepted in the Beloved. There is nothing, nothing in us worth loving. If you're going to love someone, it demands a likeness in that person you love. You don't love monkeys. Well, you may like them. And you don't actually love your dog as much as you think you may. For to love someone presupposes a likeness between the one doing the loving and the one who is being loved. And that likeness that was in us due to being born in the image of God has been so broken and so fragmented and so twisted and distorted by our sin that we look many times like the opposite of what we are. And beloved, there is nothing in you worth loving. And the only reason that God loves any of us is because He loves Jesus. Because he set his love on the Lord Jesus Christ as his beloved son. So now in Christ, he accepts us as his beloved children. He said to Jesus, you have always been, you are, and always shall be the God, God the Son. I have always loved you. I love you now. I will always love you and all those hell deserving. 
wretched sinners whom you have been sent to earth to save, I love them also for one reason, and that is because I love you. I will become their father for one reason, and that is because I am your father. All we are and all we have. The relationship we have with God is totally dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ and His relationship to God. And don't ever lose sight of that. Don't ever weaken that position. Don't ever compromise it. You and I are not worth loving by a holy God. God does not love you by virtue of the fact that you are a wonderful, ideal human being. God says He is angry with the sinner every day. And the only reason He loves any of us is because Christ has set His love upon us. And He says, you are my beloved Son. And we are accepted only in the beloved. Now, let's look at this phrase where it appears in the Old Testament. Because when we do, I'm confident that you will see that it is even a bigger phrase and has more meaning than what we would originally think. It is always important when you study the Old Testament quotes in the New Testament to go back and look at the Old Testament context in which that quote was originally found because the New Testament never quotes a text out of context. Whenever the New Testament quotes a text out of the Old Testament, it wants you to go back and look at the verses that come before it and look at the verses that follow it so that you can see the richness of the quote. You are my beloved son, comes from Psalm 2. So let's begin in verse 1 and go through just a few verses. Verse 1 of Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. And remember, Christ means anointed, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. So in the first three verses of Psalm 2, you see that the nations of the world are in rebellion against God. There is nothing that this world hates more than God's moral order. There is nothing that disgusts the world more than thinking that it has to live in terms of the law and order of God. So the nations, the powerful men and institutions, and the people of the world conspire together against Jehovah and His Christ because they see God's law as shackles and chains that hold them down, that retards Progress that limits freedom, that keeps man from being what he wants to be, God himself. So here we see the entire human race, not, as the biblical hymn says, joyful, joyful as hearts unfold like flowers before thee. That is one of the most foolish statements in all of hymnody. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee, as if the hearts of the human race are just so anxious to open up at the warmth of God's love and worship Him. The case is 
quite the opposite, beloved. The hearts of mankind are a rebellion against God, and they want to break themselves free from God's law and God's demand and their obligations to God. That is the nature of the entire human race, and it's not a very pretty sight, is it? Look at verses 4 and 5. Here is God's response to the rebellion of man. He that sits in the heavens shall laugh. All of their efforts to displace God, he just sits up there and he cackles. He laughs in contempt at all their efforts to try and expel him from his universe. The Lord scoffs at them. He shall hold them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. God not only laughs at the efforts of man to break free from him, but God responds to them by speaking his word. And what is his word? Verse 6, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. God says, Here is my response to all the chaotic efforts of man to overturn my moral order in this earth. I will overturn their efforts by my word that the Lord Jesus Christ will will be set up as king in this church and from that position bring down all those who oppose him and establish peace. Now what's interesting is, in verse 6, you have this quote from God the Father. Now notice in verse 7, you have a quote from God the Son. I will declare the decree, the Lord, God the Father, hath said unto me, God the Son, Thou art my son, and here's our text. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, and thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now I want you to notice where this statement comes from that God said at Jesus' baptism, You are my beloved son. It comes from Psalm 2. Right where Jesus is saying, by virtue of the fact that I am the Son of God, God has given me the legal right to the sovereignty of the world. Now that's not just something to look past as if it's some mushy little syrupy phrase, beloved. When God says, my answer to the rebellion of man is that I have installed, I've public inaugurated my Son on the holy mountain Zion. And when the Son of God says, when God said to me, Thou art my Son, He meant by that, that He has given me all the nations of the world as my inheritance, given me authority to rule over all the nations of the world. And in order for all the very ends of the earth to be my personal possession in submission to me, all I have to do is ask my Father to give me those nations. And now, as Greg Bonson once asked, do you think Jesus forgot to ask God for these things? Jesus said, all I have to do according to the promise of God is to ask him, and he will give me all the nations of the world as my possession. Now, I ask you, beloved, do you think Jesus somehow forgot to ask God to give him as his possessions all the nations of the world? Not hardly. 
God has established Jesus as His King on His holy mountain. The Lord Jesus Christ asked God to give Him the nations and all of this disturbance that you see around us today with the acceleration of evil and lawlessness and the attempt to live without the law of God is temporary. And that'll bring us to the end of our time today here on Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. Thank you for joining us today. It's our hope and prayer that we've been able to encourage you in Christ and stimulate your walk in Him. To address questions, comments, prayer requests, or concerns, please call or write to us. We'd love to talk with you. 408-866-5607 is our phone number, 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple, reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by, reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB, Post Mailbox, 402, and the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California, 95032. That address can be found on our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, simply call 408-866-5607. Copies of today's program are just $5. Mention today's date and we'll get a CD out to you. And please remember that we are listener-supported, which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you. Again, won't you call 408-866-5607 or reformedheritage.org. Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are two in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m., and Wednesday evening services are at 7.15. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, God bless. Mm-hmm.